Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, who's going to be hopping in with me this week to have a little bit of NBA discussion, do a round one check-in before we get to the next round where we have to do another full preview slate. Certainly have been some interesting storylines, but I have to say I've been incredibly pleased with how these playoff matchups have turned out um, in a lot of different ways. And, and, Kevin and I will discuss some of those points on why I've been excited and encouraged with what we've seen in the playoffs so far. Uh, I have some points written down that I kind of want to mention here about every series, and then I'll have some questions for Kevin and kind of get some of his thoughts on, on a few of these series here. I think we have to start off with the slate of games that's happening tonight. We are recording this on Wednesday, June 2nd. First up, the hometown for us, Philadelphia 76ers, are taking on the Washington Wizards in a Game 5 back in Philly. No Joel Embiid. The announcement was made today that he has a partial meniscus tear in his right knee. He's day-to-day at this point. You have to imagine, though, that he's probably out for the rest of this series. And honestly, if if Philly's able to close out Washington in Game 5 here and move on to the next series with the winner of the Hawks as well as the Knicks, and we'll get into that series in a second. You have to think that they're going to rest Joel Embiid as much as they can, or they at least should. Um, If they're able to rip off this win here, whoever they play in the next series, whether it's Atlanta or New York, if they're able to get a couple wins there, kind of uh, keep the boat even at like a 1-1 after the first two games. I mean, I I would try to not play Joel Embiid as much as they can avoid playing him to give him the the amount of rest that he's going to need because I think that ultimately if it came down to it, if they were without Embiid, just given the way that this team is now constructed, given the way that they seem to be much better coached all year long and, and in the playoffs here by Doc Rivers, I have to think that they can get by these these two series, the one that they're in right now against Washington, and then the next one without Embiid, if it really came down to it, maybe the next series would go a little longer. Maybe it's not a five-game series. Maybe it is a a six- or seven-game series. But I trust Ben Simmons. I trust Tobias Harris and that supporting cast to ultimately figure it out and get the job done. Um, Kevin, do you have any other opinions on that? Do you think that they need Embiid um, to, to either close out Washington or, or in the next series? Or do you think they can kind of get through and, and, and get to the winner uh, of Brooklyn and Milwaukee while giving it beat enough rest? If they can't finish this series off and the next series off without winning without Embiid, then I don't think they hold any chance against either the Bucks or the Nets, to be honest with you. I mean, at the end of the day, like, Embiid is the best player on the team, for sure, right? I, I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, but I've been pretty stats still about oh it. no he's 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 proven that this year yeah. I, I i've had to eat a little bit of humble pie with some of the ben simmons takes and we'll get into yeah. him in and second. ben simmons is a great player and this is a really good chance for him to prove that he is a great player right tobias has been great all year but this is ben's team right now and ben should close out washington tonight and he should get at least two or three games up on atlanta or new york before he has to even think about uh joel coming back i mean what we've seen from atlanta and new york is atlanta's played well But the series haven't been that good. I know we'll get into that in a little bit, and I'll have more opinion there. But, I mean, Philadelphia should have no no excuse to not beat either. So here's the thing. Two years ago, we know that Ben Simmons walked into a Brooklyn Nets arena and without Joel Embiid, completely angry at some of the comments that Jared Dudley had made. But regardless of the anger that he was playing with and the motivation that he had, he still put up a 30-plus point performance, got everyone involved while remaining aggressive, scored the points for his team that he needed to, and that Sixers team got the job done against, wow, this Washington this Washington team's definitely better than that Brooklyn team was because they have Westbrook and Beal. It's not like this Washington team is like light years ahead of that Brooklyn team. Like They're pretty comparable units when you consider the depth that that Brooklyn team also had to to work with, despite not having a star at that time as comparable to, to Westbrook or Beal. Oh, but no, I, I agree the, completely. The, let, let me yeah, hop in here real ahead. quick. The NBA fickle, though. You have to prove it every year. I mean, look at yep. LeBron. LeBron gets criticized every year, and he's going to— this offseason is not going to be good for him. 
it's not gonna be good for Anthony Davis because if you can't prove it in the playoffs, even if you've proven it before, it doesn't matter. Oh well, that Lakers team was absolutely hot garbage last night. We'll get into them when we talk about more of the Western Conference matchups. But um, yeah, I agree. You do have to come out and consistently prove it every year that you have it. And Ben Simmons, for for some of the games this series where he's come out, he's set the tone, he's been aggressive from the jump. And for the first few games in the series, he maintained that aggressiveness and that consistency throughout the entire length of the game. Game four was a different story. He came out, was aggressive, but he ended up only taking five field goal attempts. Um, and, and the rest of his attempts came from the free throw line when, when Scott Brooks was, was playing Hackaben towards the end of that game. And it's just like, where did that aggressiveness go? Like, I understand that Ben wants to get everybody else involved and he's there to make plays, as Doc Rivers pointed out to every single media member in that press conference. But at the same time, you're the guy like, like Tobias Harris is probably the best scorer that they have the best pure scorer on the court right now without MB. but you're Ben Simmons. You're still the guy. You can still push the ball consistently in transition. When you guys are able to get a stop, you're still capable of getting the rebound yourself, pushing the ball down the floor. You're, you're faster than arguably anybody else on the court. Like you should be putting up more points per game consistently to your point, Kevin, than he is right now. And that's the kind of aggressiveness that Philly is going to need him to have, not only just in, in game five against Washington, but against the, the, the winner of the next series as, as they move on and keep advancing in the playoffs. Like he has to be better than that. And the, the five from 20 from the free throw line, that doesn't help anybody. That certainly doesn't help him and his confidence in his shot. And, I've never been somebody to hammer home that Ben Simmons has to have a jumper or he's not a good player in the NBA because he's a great player. I've just always kept beating the drum that he has to remain consistently aggressive, attack downhill, put pressure on the defense, and show your defenders that you're willing to go down low and score the basketball or finish with a runner in the lane, whatever the case may be. Maybe sometimes you're, you're pulling up with that, that fadeaway jumper from like 10 feet out, whatever the case is, you have to remain aggressive and in attack mode or else you're not going to be as consistent of a threat for your team as you can be. And that's the kind of leadership they're going to need from Ben Simmons in game five. It's not just about the, the free throw shooting, which I think he's probably going to be better uh, from the line this game now that he has all of that noise cluttering his mind um, after game four with that with that poor performance he was 0 for 9 coming into the coming into that game and then he was uh, then he was 5 for what, 5 for 11 um, in game four yeah he's got to be better than that I think he will but he, he has to also look to score more often it can't just be let's pass the ball around to the shooters Let's let Tobias kind of do his thing one-on-one because if Tobias goes cold or some of those shooters go cold, as we've seen um, at other points throughout the season, if Danny Green isn't knocking down three or four threes, if Seth Curry isn't knocking down three or four threes, um, then, then, then what do you have? Then the other option is to play somebody like Tyrese Maxey, who came out in game four, had 15 points on six or 12 shooting. You're going to have to lean on somebody like that more coming off the bench and while there were certainly a number of people who called for Maxi to remain in that game, what if you pull Ben Simmons when he wasn't shooting from the line well and you put Maxi in the game? I, I kind of agree with Doc. I don't think you can just pull Ben because of everything else that he's able to do on the floor and help that team on both ends. But it, it's a little, it's a little, makes me a little nervous um, going into a rookie like Maxi to, to rely on him to generate offense. Um, for for extended minutes in his first playoff series, when you have somebody like Ben, who's who's done this before, he's been there before. Like you just you got to step up, man. And, and I know that's kind of been your mentality, um, Kevin, for for Ben Simmons throughout his whole career. I, I know that you think he needs to get a jump shot, but I think you agree that you just want to see more from him in general. And I agree that that's going to be the difference maker, whether this series is wrapped up in five games or it goes to a game six or a game seven. Lord only knows what can happen in the NBA playoffs. And then obviously in the next round, what, if anything, are they able to do without Embiid? Let me, let me say this. I don't think this is going to happen by any account. But if this goes to game seven, I would not want to be against Westbrook because there's not going to be somebody in the history of the NBA 
that has more confidence in, in themselves than if Westbrook climbed it back from 3-0 to 3-3. <laughs> I, just, I just don't want to be in that situation on Philly. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they close it out tonight, but... Uh, well, I mean, West, Westbrook's also one of the streakiest shooters yeah. um, that, that we see in the game, but when the bright lights are on, yeah, that man is not afraid to perform whatsoever on the biggest stage. Now, he has been cold shooting the ball in this series. He's only shooting three, 33% from the field and 20%, um, but he has averaged 11 rebounds a game and 12.3 assists per game. Um, Beal obviously is doing his thing, almost 30 points per game on 46% shooting from the field, only 20% from three-point range. Um, but they've had other guys been able to step up and hit outside shots, uh, particularly Rui Hachimura. Um, and, and I have loved seeing the Rui Hachimura experience fully evolve over the course of this playoff series. He's been a guy who I think a lot of people have been relatively disappointed with um, some of the stagnant development he had in, in the regular season in this second year. I thought he took enough strides to certainly be warranting the playing time that he's getting in this series, but he didn't really pop off anybody's screen in his first year. Um, like I said, the, the this second year hasn't exactly been an explosion either, but this playoff series, he's averaging 13 points per game seven and a half rebounds per game, shooting 62% from the field and almost 67% from three. I mean, you you saw in that game four, he is one of the bigger reasons why they were able to beat Philly in that game was because he was not only making threes, but he was making timely threes from the corner when called upon late in that game. And I'm glad to see it. If Rui keeps scoring as efficiently as he has been, if Westbrook ends up shooting the ball better from the field in game five, if Beal continues to be that lights out scorer that he's been in this series, then anything can happen. It can go to a game six. I don't think it's going to go to a game six. I think Philly is going to ultimately pull this one out. I trust Ben Simmons to figure it out. I trust Tobias Harris to be good. And I trust the role players to hit shots at home that they normally do at the Wolves Fargo center. But it's been a fun series. I think, Kevin, you and I kind of thought that it would be, if not um, a close series, it would at least be a fun series. Like, we would still see competitive games, and that's definitely what we've gotten. So I've been happy with the series. It's been incredibly entertaining for me. Um, shout out to, to, like I said, to Hachimura and Maxi for, for coming out and having surprising performances. Um, all series, particularly in Game 4, especially for Maxi. But moving on to the series that will have the winner play either Philly or Washington in the next round Hawks Knicks. Now Hawks are up three, one. I think I had said before the series that I, I thought the Knicks were going to win this in six games because of the defense. But we did point out in our playoff preview pod, Kev, that if Trey young is able to be Trey young, pick apart the Knicks and pick and roll where they clearly don't know how to properly defend pick and roll, um, then it could potentially be a nightmare series for the Knicks, and that's how Atlanta could end up winning. Um, and Trey Young's been dominant, almost 28 points per game, 10 assists per game, 47% shooting from the field, thirty about 37% from three-point range, so not over 40% or anything like that, but that's also in high volume. He's taking seven and a half threes per game, um, and he's been completely torching the Knicks you saw it in game one he hit that big time floater to, to to silence the crowd and you've seen it really all series he's been able to take over games he's had the support for Bogdan Bogdanovich he's also been a really consistent performer um, and secondary initiator of offense even chipping in scoring certainly almost 16 points per game 42 percent shooting from the field um, also at 37 percent from three um, the, those two guys combined with the timely contributions they've gotten from other people, obviously having DeAndre Hunter back in the fold, the fold is huge. John Collins and Clint Capella have helped man that front line um, and certainly have limited the effectiveness of New York's front court players. I mean, with Julius Randle struggling from the field as he is, Taj Gibson not being nearly as effective as he has been in years past, he's certainly gotten older. Um, the, the Knicks have relied so heavily on Derrick Rose to kind of go toe-to-toe with Trey Young and, and to Rose's credit, he's averaging 23 points per game in the series, uh, five assists per game. He's in the 50-50-100 club for the series, which is absolutely absurd. Like, like 
I, I know that Derrick Rose has been a dynamic scorer throughout his career, um, and since he's come back from all those injuries, he was proving at certain moments, especially with the Pistons, that he could still be a dynamic scorer. I, I didn't see a dynamic shooting performance from the perimeter necessarily coming from him, but he's been stroking it, and he's really been the reason why the Knicks have had any potential quote-unquote hope in this series going into Game 5, coming back to New York, and, and being able to... Uh, potentially stave off the Hawks from taking this series in five games in the Garden. Um, Kevin, I know you probably have thoughts, and and, and you're probably gonna you're probably gonna praise Trey Young um, and and what he's been able to do for the Hawks. But but what are some of the things you've seen in this series? Do you think it, it ends in Game Five? You, you do know I love me from uh, Trey Young. He was one of my favorite players did. when he came out. I we've had a lot of discussions about Trey Young off the air that I think you're finally starting to come around a little bit on him. Oh, right? yeah. I've, 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 I've eaten all my Trey Young, bro, 100%. <laughs> I'm really getting ahead of you right now. I, I think we're going to have me kind of eat my own words later on in this podcast, but I think right now I'm getting one up on you. But uh, what I would say, there's two big things for this series, and you mentioned both of them. Trey Young has looked like he's, 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 he's right for the big lights in New York, right? Like he understands the pressure, and he lives up to it. And the other thing is that you have one New York player who's shown that he's an, not an elite player anymore, but he's still like a very relevant player in rows, and one player that had so much goodwill going into the series. He was considered one of the feel-good stories of the year. He finally reached his potential. And then to go 20 for 73 in shooting in a series, Julius Randle did, so far at least. That's just kind of unacceptable and kind of ruined everything he did the entire year. Now, there's still time to turn it around, and I think New York wins tonight. I think they end up losing in Game 6, which is actually good for Joel Embiid in the next series, give him a few more days off. But I don't see how New York wins a series at this given point unless Julius Randle decides he's going to play like the most improved player that he did the entirety of the year. Yeah, and, and, and two more points to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying too, Kev. Um, re- regarding Trey Young, I, I think, and Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosilla talked about this on, on Simmons's recap pod um, or earlier in the week here, but the pace and the control that Trey Young has been playing with from the point guard position, he's not just jacking up, you know, 30, 40 footers all the time anymore and kind of just acting like this complete showman. He's legitimately running that team, um, and he's really put them on his back, and he's making sure that he gets everybody else involved before just immediately coming out and looking to get his and just put on a show and be as exciting of a point guard as possible. And that's really been the difference maker, um, especially in the second half of this year after Coach McMillan took over, um, and, and, and then ultimately in this playoff series, you've seen a lot of that too. He's just running the team a lot better than, than Julius Randle, has ran his team um, 15 turnovers to 17 total assists in this series. The, the point forward that Julius Randle kind of turned himself into this year, he's been completely ineffective in terms of making plays for others. And I think a lot of that stems back from the shot selection that he's been given by the Hawks as well. Kudos to, to McMillan and the coaching staff for some of the defensive schemes that they've put the Hawks players in defending somebody like Julius Randle. You'll just see it constantly that Randle's settling for these pull-up, tough mid-range jumpers and like that's not Randall's game that's never been his game and that's never going to be his game he's either a downhill attacker or he's a set three-point shooter and they've kind of taken away both of those things from him on a consistent basis and he's had to settle for a lot of these tough shots and it's gotten everybody else out of rhythm as well because while some of these players are are used to standing around and watching Randall be able to bully his way to the basket at all times uh, which Clint Capella hasn't let him do, or he, he's able to kind of swing the ball around and, and, and catch it and reestablish himself from three and, and make a set shot. He hasn't been able to do either of those things in this series, and it's really hurt the Knicks' overall identity because if he's not the same playmaker that he is, I mean, that takes away what was the biggest chunk of their offense all year long, and now you're putting all of that responsibility back in the Rose's hands. And I understand that Rose's has been an excellent player in this series, but if you don't have Julius Randle living up to his expectations um, as an all-star, then yeah, you don't have a chance, especially when it's not only just Trey Young and Bogdanovich playing well, but like I said, you have Hunter making timely contributions. Um, you, you have Clint Capella playing the way that he has played all year 
down low man in the post you have john collins hitting big shots like atlanta just seems like the deeper more talented team right now and and to zach Lowe and especially coach thorpe's credit um they kind of talked about that at lowe's uh eight by eight playoff preview pod where they just said that they picked Atlanta because they felt they were the deeper, more talented team. And that's absolutely bore itself out over this playoff series. Like, I can't argue with it anymore. And, and yeah, I can't argue against Trey Young. Um, hats off to him. He, he's been a lot better of a professional basketball player, especially this year, um, than, than I really thought he could be. Um, it, it's been not only just his ability to pass the ball from different angles, but the timing of his passes, how he's making those passes. And then everybody likes to talk about gravity and spacing. The outside shooting has been such a unique weapon for him that um, he's able to bring out defenders. And then when he gets by somebody, even if the opposing team's big man comes to play up on him, his floater game is also one of the best in the league. So he's just scoring in a variety of ways and being able to get everybody involved um, in, in a lot of different ways as well. He's been incredibly impressive. Um, and he's certainly made me rethink his evaluation overall, as well as the evaluation of a prospect that we'll be uh, talking about in, in, in a coming podcast. That's a little bit of a teaser for the audience. I'm sure they can they can figure out who that is. Um, but yeah, there's not really much else to say about this series. I actually think Atlanta wins game five in the garden. I think they're going to close it out. Um, I don't really see much hope left for, for New York either. I agree, Kevin. I don't see how they can possibly come back and win this series. Um, moving out to the West Coast, Jazz Grizzlies. Um, Utah seems to have a stranglehold on this series. Donovan Mitchell has put the team on his back at this point, 28 points per game and four assists in this series. He hasn't shot the ball quite well, um, quite efficiently from the field in this series, but where he hasn't been able to, to hit shots at an efficient rate, he has been able to make shots from the free throw line. Um, and, and, and generate efficient offense that way. But even just the pressure that he's able to put on a defense with his pull-up shot-making ability, his ability to get downhill and attack the rim um, as the, the lightning quick guard that he is. Um, Memphis just doesn't necessarily have an answer for him. But the interesting thing is that Utah hasn't necessarily had an answer for John Moran either. In his first playoff series, he's averaging 31 points per game, 7.5 assists per game, only 22.7% from the from three-point range, but 48% from the field overall. Um, and, and I was just talking about Trey Young's ability right now to man an offense and consistently just make the right decision after decision. John Morant's been doing the same thing for, for Memphis. Um, and his control over that team, the pace that he's been playing at, um, some of his counters to, to what the defense has thrown at him when he's able to actually penetrate into the teeth of the defense, some of the footwork and, and, and the floater craft and layup ability that he's been showcasing in this series has been absolutely outstanding to the point where even when he's not hitting that three-point shot, how slippery he is with his handle um, and his timing of his dribble moves and, and how he's able to, like I said, use some of that footwork um, and get into the lane. He's still been an efficient scorer for his team and, and one of the most dangerous playmakers throughout the entire playoffs that we've seen so far. Um, I've been incredibly impressed with his performance. We, we, we knew that John Morant was going to be a superstar um, in this league, given his, his rookie year performance, uh, his rightfully deserving rookie of the year award. Um, but he's really come out and made, made a name for himself in these playoffs. And, and hats off to him. I, I guess my only question that I've had about this team, and I'll continue to have, uh, we've seen some encouraging performances from Jaron Jackson and Dylan Brooks in this playoff series, but does he have enough around him in terms of potential star equity to ultimately make an impact in the future? Not necessarily even in this series, um, or, or is John Moran really going to need some help down the line? I think the answer to that question, at least right now in the present, is yes. Utah just has too much firepower between Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, um, Bogdanovich playing well, Joe Ingles obviously playing well, Jordan Clarkson continuing to be the lights-out scorer off the bench, six-man that he is, um, rightfully earning that six-man of the year award. I think Utah just has too much for Memphis. Kevin, do you see any way that, that Memphis can can win this game five, or do you think Utah closes it out in this in this game five tonight? Um. Man, I, I want to be supportive, right? I actually feel bad for Memphis. We we did them a little bit dirty by kind of not even talking about them in our previous playoff pod. We kind of just assumed Golden State would be there. I mean, you have to, like, 
yep. think about anything, right? Um, I man, as much as I want to have hope for Memphis, I don't see it. I think Utah is just a better team. I think for Memphis to win, if they're gonna win Game Five, if Joss just goes off, and I think he goes off anyway, but I'm talking about like fifty points, sixty points. I just, man, I just don't see it. I mean, do you think that's the only way too, or? Yeah, Ja has to have the 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 game of his life, similar to what Damian Lillard had um, last night, and and you saw there. I mean, we'll we'll talk about that performance when when we get to to Nuggets Blazers, but Dame had fifty five points in a double overtime game, and they still ended up losing. So you you we you and I can sit here and say, oh man, if Ja goes off for one of those forty five fifty point games and he just explodes and he carries that offense, sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean. Um, that, that your team's going to win the game if you're not able to play the the level of defense that's required to win that game. And Utah right now, with so many of their weapons being as hot as they are, yeah, I, I think the depth is too much. I think this series is, is pretty much over at this point. But you, you brought up a really good point, Kevin, that we didn't even talk about Memphis in that preview pod. And before I was even a Sixers fan, I was a Memphis Grizzlies fan going back to those grit and grind squads. Um, and that's shame on me for not even bringing them up. John Moran's obviously been an incredibly fun player to watch. The amount of depth that's been able to step up for that team. Um, some of the rookies that they've had, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, have had moments not even just in, in, in the play-in tournament, but even in this first-round series here, especially Bain. Bain's been inc- playing incredibly well for them and has been consistent, whether it's shooting, um, passing on the move, playmaking for others. He He's really played an integral part and has kind of stuck himself in the middle of their uh, eight-man rotation that they've kind of been going to. So hats off to to role players and and glue guys like them. But yeah, there's way too much firepower for Utah. They're going to close this series out, and I can't wait till we get to do a, a deep dive preview of the next round and kind of get into more of the numbers of what some of these series bore out. And 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 I can't wait to to go a little more in depth in terms of the Utah guys. But we'll move on to to Clippers Mavericks, the 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 last game that's taking place tonight on on Wednesday, June second. Um, series is tied up, um, and, and quite frankly, it's looking rough for Dallas with with, with the the health concerns for Luka Doncic, um, ha- having some of that 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 nerve damage really bugging him down and, and making it to the point where he's having trouble even lifting his head up, uh, what, <laughs> and and trying to make plays for himself or others. He's in that much pain. Um, without him playing at full strength. I already thought the Clippers were going to win this series. Uh, to your credit, Kevin, you said that Luka was good enough to at least get them two games, and he certainly did that um, in this series so far. But if he can't step up and hit big shots and, and kind of be the Luka Doncic averaging the 32-9-9 or, or whatever he was earlier in this series, I don't really see a path for Dallas to pull out another win here, especially if Porzingis doesn't step up. Um, only 15 points per game shooting – um, only 33% from three-point range, only four rebounds per game, and he's had four blocks total um, in, in the series in these four games. So he clearly has not been the second star that he that he needs to be next to Luka, the second star that the Mavericks envisioned he could be when they traded for him um, to, to bring him in from the New York Knicks. You can argue that the Clippers aren't worthy of being trusted, especially with what we've seen, particularly in last year's playoffs, but... I really can't imagine that they blow it at this point, especially with Luca being as compromised as he is. Um, wh- what do you think, Kevin? Or do you think that Luca's going to be able to fight through it um, and-, and carry his team to an upset? Uh, I'll say two things about this matter. I would say that Luca's good enough for sure, right? But I just, yep. I don't like when you have issues with your neck, right? Like I feel like that makes it near impossible to even play basketball. The fact that he's still going out and putting in the performance he is is just a feat in itself. And with neck injuries like the one he has, like all it takes is him having one little flare up in game five and he's out for like a long time. W- would you agree? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and honestly, I know Luca wants to play. I know the Mavericks want to win games. I know mm. they, they saw an opening at the beginning of this series to come out and upset the Clippers and, and, and possibly even win it. I, I don't know if I'd play Luca yeah. at this point. Like, I, I, I don't I know if, yeah, I don't know if his future compromising his future is really worth it. Um, the, listen, Luca's going to be a great player, a great, great player, super duper star for a long time. He, they're going to have their chances. They can keep retooling the roster. 
Mark Cuban's one of the best owners in all of sports. They still have um, a, a really smart uh, front office management group. Rick Carlisle's still one of the better coaches in the league. Like, you're going to have plenty of cracks at this. Like, like I don't know. I, not, not that you can necessarily just lay down and let the Clippers win the next two games, which, to the Mavericks' credit, they have enough players on that team to where they can at least fight and be competitive yeah. in some of these contests here. But, yeah, I... I agree with you. I wouldn't necessarily play Luca if he's not able to, or if there really is um, serious, serious implications that that could be for his long-term health. So yeah. there, there's really not much else to say uh, about this series. I, think I do have a part two though. Oh, okay. Um, do you think with what we've seen from KP, the theory that it's time to just move another direction because Luca obviously is a star. He's probably the face of the NBA moving forward, like given a few years. But what you have around him is not good enough. And with how stars are in this league nowadays, if they don't start winning soon, they're going to run a risk of losing him. Like, what do you think they need to do moving forward? Well, there's no doubt they're going to retool the roster. Um, I don't quite know what that means for Porzingis. I don't know if they can even trade him. For, for some kind of quantity back at this point, given how poorly he's played in the playoffs here. Um, and and he, God, he just cannot shake that injury bug. Like, like if I'm another team, I don't know what kind of assets I'd be willing to give up to bring in somebody like Porzingis. So, yeah, Dallas is definitely going to retool the roster and they're going to try to improve it as many ways as they can, but I don't think it's going to be something that they can do overnight um in this upcoming offseason i think it's going to take some take them some time and they're going to have to be really smart and, and crafty with their rebuild they're going to have to try to convince the right types of veterans to come in um and, and play with luca that's how they're going to have to approach it they're going to have to go to some of these um free agents that aren't necessarily like max level guys but um they they they, they can get creative with their cap and they can go to some of these mid-level free agents and say look we have one of the best guys in the league. Luca's proven he can put a team on his back um, and win some really big playoff games against really good teams. Um, like like the Clippers are by no means a bad team. They're they're one of the better teams in the league, and they absolutely have a chance in their own right to to make the finals, just given how their roster is constructed. So Luca being able to win these games and, and have some of these performances that he's had, even going back to to last year in the bubble. That is a selling point for some of these guys, but they're going to have to approach free agency very carefully. And if there is a chance that they can get some sort of, I don't even know if I'd say decent package, but like somewhat decent package back for Porzingis, I think they kind of have to pull the, the trigger at this point. I, I don't see Porzingis being the right second banana to, to Luca at this point. I just think that given the failures that have happened, given the injuries that he's had in Dallas and the expectations that have been put on those two as a duo, whether they're unfair or not, just given Luca's credibility as a super duper star, like, yeah, like I, I don't, I don't see any way in which they, they're not going to retool the roster at some point, but whether that package is there this off season, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I, I lean towards no, I, I don't know if you see a chance of there being a package out there for Porzingis, Kevin. Um, yeah, I don't I don't see anything just because of Porzingis' injury history and his lack of all-star play that he's kind of been, like, expected to finally pick up on after that one season in New York. I just see it being, like, a situation where they're not going to get what they want from him, but they may have to get him out of there just to kind of free up other areas. I agree. I agree. Um, and and that's pretty much where, where we're at on, on, on Dallas and the Clippers. Moving on to what was arguably the best game that we've had in the playoffs so far. Um, and it could end up being the best game we, we get in the playoffs. Um, to, to be quite honest with you, that Denver Portland game last night was exhilarating and, and Dame certainly put on one of the best outside shooting performances I've ever seen 55 points um, on efficient shooting from the field, including 12 of 17 from three point range. He chipped in 10 assists. He tried his hardest to get the rest of his teammates involved and get them as good of looks as possible. But CJ McCollum only going seven of 22 from the field um, in, in that game four. the bench only scoring 22 points total. 
he he it doesn't look like Dame has the support that he needs right now to get out of this series against Denver, um, especially with Denver's offense being able to to click at the times that it has. Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. putting that team on their backs. Compazzo being a really fun point guard to watch. Somebody who's proven that he's tough. He's not going to back down to anybody despite his size in the court. Monte Morris hitting big, big, timely shots. I just think that Denver has too much for this Portland team that we already knew they struggled defensively. We we beat that drum enough in the playoff preview pod. But now that you see that, that Dame's supporting cast also isn't making the shots that are necessary to win some of these games, particularly an overtime or a double overtime game, like Dane can't be the only guy who puts up consistent offense for this team. They have to have somebody like CJ or Norm Powell. Somebody else has to step up in a big way or they're not going to beat Denver in another game in this series. Now, there's a lot of people who think that Dame's supporting cast is going to bounce back in game six. They're going to get a win at home and then it's going to be a no holds barred contest in Denver in game seven. I think Denver is going to close this out in six games. Um, I said that Denver would close it out in five. Clearly, I was wrong about that. Um, Dame has been good enough to at least win two games in this series <laughs> almost by himself. Um, what, what, what do you think, Kevin? I know that you were a little more optimistic about Portland heading into this series as well. Do you think it goes seven games or, or have you seen enough to the point where, um, you're willing to, to say that Denver closed this out in six games? Uh, I have a few talking points for this one too, actually. I, I did my research a little bit. Um, I went back and looked at a Google doc from last week and I said that Dame Dalla would show out and he did. And that's what he needed to win a game or two of the series. And he's showing out and not even winning. So, with that being said, I don't see a situation where they win tonight. Because if you can put up 55 points, 10 assists, and still lose, I mean, it's, it just feels bad, right? And my, my second yep. point is that I, this is so selfish of me. And I know it is, because I appreciate everything uh, Lula does. I appreciate that he stays loyal to Portland. But I want to see him on a winner, man. Can you imagine Dame teaming up with somebody like Anthony Davis? Him teaming up with someone like Luca, even somebody like I don't know Jason Tatum. Like, there's no disrespect to TJ McCollum. I think he's a great player, right? But it'd be so nice to see Dame compete for a championship. If there's one star, and, and not necessarily that he would be going to a title contender, I agree with you, Kevin. I would love to see him in a winning situation. But even if he left Portland and he went somewhere like New York. Like, you want to talk about the type of star that would thrive and the type of star that New York deserves. I would love to see him go to the Knicks. I, I kind of agree with Stephen A. on that one. Could you imagine him in that box office environment? Um, and, and, and to the, the, the Knicks' current front office's credit, I mean, they, they, they put the time and the effort into building a winning team with, with, with a much better culture that they've had in years past, especially with Thibodeau at, at the front. Um, of the coaching helm, I would love to see Dame go to a bigger market somewhere where he would absolutely thrive on a big stage. But yeah, I agree with you. Even even if he went somewhere that wasn't necessarily like the New York market, but just a better winning situation overall. Yeah, I, I would love to see that for Dame too, because he is such a hard worker. Um, as they say on on all the smoke, Stephen Jackson and, and Matt Barnes, he he is a real one. Like the, there is <laughs> there there's very few people in the NBA who is more of a real one than, than Dame is. Um, and he showed out to his credit. He's, he's put the team on his back and he's gotten a few wins here um, in a series against what is still a better overall team, even without Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets. But yeah, I just, I, I, I think that is a, a potential blow in the team's confidence overall that they did get that kind of a performance out of Dame and yet they still couldn't pull out the win. And and the, the defense has just proven that it's a problem. They they can't stop Denver when they've needed to stop them. And everybody wants to talk about some of the easy bunnies that, that some of those Portland players missed last night. But, I mean, hell, I saw Paul Millsap miss, like, a wide-open layup toward, toward, towards the end of regulation in that game. Like, it's not like Denver didn't miss some, some pretty bad shots themselves. Um, Portland just couldn't get the stops when they needed them. Dame had every chance to win that game. He took advantage of every chance he had to win that game, but the rest of the team around him just let him down. And and I don't really see another outcome in which Portland wins two games in a row against this Denver team. Not that I think Denver is going to win the title by any means, but just with how they have 
multiple guys stepping up to the plate, not just Nikola Jokic. I just think there's too much firepower against a team that's that bad defensively for them to pull out two wins here. So um, I think Denver's going to move on. I think Denver's going to close it out in, in, in game six, and, and we'll see what happens. Maybe Dame surprises me again, because it's not that I want to bet against him. I'd never bet against Dame. Um, I'm just taking, I, I took to win the series what I thought was the better team, and I'm going to take the better team to win in, in game six. That's where I'm going to lean. And, and speaking of taking the better team, Kevin, you, you, you might have called this one, my man. Didn't you say Phoenix in six? I did say Phoenix in six, and I said because I couldn't trust the Lakers' injury history. I didn't think LeBron and AD, or at least one of those two, made it through the series without getting injured. And look where we are. They they both were rushed back to a certain extent. LeBron looks, I dare to say it, a little bit old this series. I think a good offseason where you don't have to worry about anything will help that a little bit. But then Anthony Davis, just constant injury issue after injury issue. I mean, the Lakers have just kind of been exposed to not as good as last year. So there's there's multiple points to bring up in this Suns-Lakers series. Obviously, Phoenix is now up three games to two. They have the chance to close out the series, give LeBron his uh, uh, first-round playoff loss, which hasn't happened. I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought the Lakers would win this. I thought it would go seven games, but I thought the Lakers would ultimately pull it out. That Lakers in seven prediction is technically alive but it's tough i mean phoenix has been the more complete team they've been the better team overall devin booker has obviously been brilliant 26 points per game on 44 percent shooting from the field um hasn't quite been as efficient from three-point range but he's shooting 92 percent from the free throw line in this series so either he's making one of those patented mid-range pull-ups that he's been going to off of those 77 actions, or if he's um, continuing to go to the rim and he draws a foul, he's certainly making the most of those points, those easy points when he gets to the line. Um, There's two things that stand out to me, Kevin. The first one with the Lakers, you hit on it. LeBron hasn't looked like LeBron at this point in this series. It's almost been a lack of aggression. He's only taken 17 total free throws in, in this entire series so far, so five games, and 38 of his 88 shots overall have come from the three-point line. Now, he's shot 39.5% on those three-point attempts, but that's uncharacteristic of LeBron to even when he's not shooting a three, the amount of mid-range jump shots he's also settled for. Um, Those times where he comes down the court and, and instead of pushing the ball all the way in transition, he kind of stops, comes back to the center of the court, and then looks to reinitiate uh, the the offense and try and get others involved. I understand that LeBron's been a playmaker first and foremost in his career, and he hasn't necessarily been the guy that you look to as like this Kevin Durant type scorer. Like obviously LeBron's the the best player in the game. He can score when he has to. He that hasn't necessarily been his mentality to score first. But you have to think that in that game last night, you you would have thought that he'd come out with a much more aggressive mindset, be more willing to get into the paint get into the teeth of the defense, um, go to the line if he has to, but try and score as many easy buckets as he can inside, especially in transition. And he just hasn't done that. I wonder if he's saving more for the game six that we're going to get, even a potential game seven, and if the Lakers would be able to advance for for further along in the playoffs. But it, it is fair to say that LeBron hasn't looked like LeBron in this series. That that That's not an egregious statement to make. So that's clearly brought the Lakers down on top of what everything's been going on with Anthony Davis. Obviously the, the, the game one, the egg that he laid in game one. And now the fact that um, he is hurt right now, wasn't able to play in that game four. the other thing for Phoenix, besides Devin Booker's brilliance, besides what I would call the, the, the CP three or the Chris Paul effect, where he just has everybody in the right spots at the right time. He's keeping everybody motivated. The vocal communicator that he is, he, he's kept up the intensity. DeAndre Ayton has played incredibly well down low for the Lakers, even when Anthony Davis has been in the game against Andre Drummond, against Marcus Gasol. He's putting up 17 points per game on 80% shooting from the field, and he's also been um, arguably the best rebounder in the series at 12 rebounds per game, even though that you can technically say that Drummond got the best of him on the boards last night in game four. Overall in the series, it's been DeAndre Ayton's been the best big man. 
um, in the series, at least the most consistent big man. And that to me has happened because Phoenix has simplified his role so much, especially this year with Chris Paul, where they've said, look, you're the more physical presence. You're the better athlete. You're the vertical uh, spacer at the rim. You're the lob threat. You can set screens, be involved in the pick and roll game with Chris and look to finish at the basket. Other than that, we don't need you to do much more on offense. Save a lot more of your energy for cleaning up the defensive glass, making plays on the defensive end when you have to. Save the energy for when you get switched on to a perimeter matchup. They haven't asked him to do a ton on offense. They've simplified his game. They've eliminated those perimeter jump shots. He hasn't been taking those mid-range shots. I don't even think he's attempted a three-point shot in this series. And that's been all the better. It's led to a much more consistent DeAndre Ayton. He understands the role that he needs to play. He's willingly accepted that role. And having Chris Paul and Devin Booker alongside him, Booker being much more of a comfortable playmaker as he's gone on in his career, but the pick-and-roll maestro that Chris Paul has been throughout his whole entire career, it's just done wonders for DeAndre Ayton. And it's really been the, the main difference maker to me in this series is how well and how effective, how efficient DeAndre Ayton has been. And then obviously some of the role players have been able to step up. Um, you you and I, Kevin, are big fans of Mikhail Bridges. Campaign has stepped up and hit big shots. Cam Johnson has hit big shots when he's been called upon. For all that, that Jay Crowder has been a little streaky in this series, he certainly picked it up in game four. And, and I would be willing to bet that he's going to continue to hit big threes in, 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 in game six and beyond here. Um, I just really like what this Phoenix Suns team has done not just in this series, but all year long. Um, you heard me say it last um, on the playoff preview pod that I thought the winner of this series was going to go to the NBA Finals out of the Western Conference, and I still feel that way. I think if Phoenix is able to get by this Lakers team, I don't think they're going to be tested nearly as much by another team in the West um, than they would be by, by the Lakers. So I'm really excited to see if the Suns can pull it off. If they do, if they're able to move on to the Western Conference Finals, maybe we get like like a Phoenix-Utah series. I think that would be incredibly fun, seeing Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell kind of go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Mike Conley against Chris Paul, two of the veteran point guards, being in different situations, having different chances to win in the West. I think that would be really fun. And then obviously the the battle of the bigs between Aiden Gobert would also be a really good watch. So I'm incredibly excited. At this point, I will flip. I will change my mind. I'll have the Phoenix Suns ultimately winning this series. But... And I say the word but very carefully, and I'll get your response to see if you think this is possible, Kevin. Just given the media narrative that's building on LeBron James heading into this game six, seeing that he hasn't been as aggressive, but me knowing LeBron, that he always has something in the tank to give. I just wonder if he's gearing up to have one of those like game six types of performances that he had against the Boston Celtics years ago when he was in Miami. Um, I, I just wonder if we're going to get that level of a scoring performance out of him and he comes out guns blazing in this game six, he puts that Lakers team on his back and then anything can happen in a game seven, regardless of whether he has AD or not. I think the potential is there for LeBron to put up one of the best games in his playoff career in this game six. I don't know if you, you leave the door open for that happening, Kevin, or if you think the series is over. Well, I think he has to. I don't think there's a situation where the Lakers win tonight or they play tomorrow night, right? Correct. Yeah, I don't think the situation where they win tomorrow night, LeBron doesn't put up an all-time great performance because the team just isn't deep enough without AD. You can tell, like, they've kind of kind of lost a lot of their roster because of all the trades, and that helped them win last year, so it's definitely worth it. When you win a championship, it's worth everything you give up. But you can kind of tell the roster just is a little bit rough this year. Um, but, I, but I also see a situation where LeBron goes out there t tomorrow night puts up 45, 10, and 10, let's say, right? And they can still lose that game. Yep. Him putting up 45, 10, and 10 doesn't mean everything, anything if uh his teammates don't actually put in performance. And Drummond's been streaky. He had, like you said, he had a great game four. But he's looked like a, he, he looked like not himself to a certain extent the series. And I think the whole Kuzma's looked awful. What was a game three when Kuzma just had an awful shooting performance when AD went down? I just think everybody on the team needs to step up. And I don't think LeBron having an all-time great game is going to truly be the defining factor of this game. 
Yeah, and it's it's this yeah, you 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 bring that up. You mentioned if you had this excellent game, they can still lose. And I agree. It's the same thing with Dame. Like Dame's looking around his lineup and he's seeing guys who are capable of taking and making big shots. Like like Dame has guys like CJ and Norman Powell and, and Robert Covington in that lineup with him. And LeBron has guys who are capable, like Morris, like like Kuzma. Um, but at the same time, he also has to lean on guys like Caruso. Taylor Horn Tucker, um, like he has to rely on some of these role players that you wouldn't necessarily think of in the same respect as you would, like a Mikhail Bridges, a Cameron Johnson, even the way that Cameron Payne's played in this series. Like Booker and Chris Paul just have a lot more around them right now than the Lakers are able to throw out there. And the other guy that really needs to step up is Schroeder. Schroeder has to be lights out in this game six. He has to be not chucking up shots from, from all over the place in the perimeter. He has to continue to dissect that Phoenix defense, get into the paint when he can and look to finish efficiently. If he doesn't have a 20-plus point performance to go along with whatever LeBron brings to the table, um, if Drummond isn't an efficient scorer in the, in, in the paint against Aiden, if, if Drummond doesn't have a double-digit scoring performance, um, and, and if one of that, that, that Kuzma, Caruso, Horton Tucker trio. If one of those three doesn't go off for, for double digits as well, like the Lakers aren't going to win that game. Like they need like four double digit scores at least um, on top of whatever LeBron's bringing to the table to, to get past a, a complete Phoenix team. And I didn't use that word lightly all year. I, I didn't use it lightly, but I meant it like Phoenix to me is the most complete team in the NBA. They can match up with any style. They can play any style that they want to at any given moment. They have the stars. They have enough players. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that Phoenix is at this point where they just have the more complete team right now, especially with AD out. And even if AD isn't 100%, um, even if he was 100%, I think Phoenix is on such a high right now that they're going to get the job done. So, um, moving on to the two series that we know the outcomes to, one, we knew the outcome to last night, um, Brooklyn and Boston. The other that we knew the outcome to uh, a few days ago now at this point, and, and we'll save that series between Milwaukee and Miami for, for last. I'll let you get your thoughts in on that one, Kevin. But Brooklyn beat Boston four games to one. We know that they're moving on to the next round, and we know that Boston is seeing some wholesale changes to their coaching and front office staff. Um, Danny Ainge is stepping down from his role as head of basketball operations, Brad Stevens is Brad Stevens is moving up into that role, um, and, and they're going to embark on the search for a new coach. Um, that that really shocked me. Not necessarily. I, I agree with Kendrick Perkins. He was talking about some of this when he was on the jump earlier today. Not necessarily that Danny Ainge stepped down, but Brad Stevens moving up, and then looking to a brand new voice at the head coach position to to lead that young team with two young superstars. Um, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown moving forward. That that did surprise me. Um, and I don't really know where they're going to go next as far as a head coach. What I do know is that if Jalen Brown was healthy enough, I think that they definitely would have pushed Brooklyn to at least like five or six, uh, at least like six games. Um, I don't know if it would have went a seventh game, but they, I think it would have at least went six games. But man, Jason Tatum, Kevin, doing what he did in that series, averaging almost 31 points per game, six rebounds, five assists, um, shooting 42% from the field, but 39% from three and 92% from the line. Again, just like Devin Booker, when he's able to, to get inside and draw a foul and get to the line, he was making the most of those opportunities. He was a flat-out baller throughout that whole series, and he really stepped up in, in my mind and solidified himself. If he wasn't already in everybody's minds as like a top 15-ish player in the NBA, he definitely is now. Um, and he is one of the best building blocks any new head coach could have to work with moving forward. Um, did did the news surprise you, Kevin, as much as it surprised me, at least with like the Brad Stevens stuff? And 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 what are what are some of the thoughts, if any, that you want to contribute into to how that series ultimately went? Yeah, I think we share the same sentiment that I'm not surprised Ainge is stepping down. Um, but Brad Stevens moving upward, especially after such a rough year, just I think shows how high or how high in regard the organization feels about him. And I want to kind of stem back to like his reasoning, which makes me believe that maybe he's actually going to come back to coaching later on. He just said he was worn out of coaching from the bubble, which I get. The bubble was a really tough experience for a lot of people, and I think us as outsiders don't understand the full extent of it. 
I know like LeBron's talked about how tough it was. We've seen countless stars talk about how the bubble wasn't this cakewalk that everybody thought it was. There was a lot going on in there that was tough to deal with. Um, but I just see a situation where maybe things go bad like in year two of this new coach, right? And Brad Stevens is probably going to step back in and be the coach if they have to fire somebody midseason, right? That would make sense to you. That could be a possibility. I think that they're going to take the time to find a proper successor. Um, it, hmm. It's a possibility. I don't think that that's ultimately going to happen. Um, but to your point, coaching in the NBA is is really, really hard. It can absolutely be a stressful job. And yeah, when you when you add on the impact of the bubble, the impact that the bubble had on everybody in the NBA um, who, who was there, yeah, it, it's definitely something that can make you want to reevaluate and maybe rethink a few things. Um, uh, uh, about your future and him moving into that front office role that's going to be an, a very interesting and, and very fun yeah. experiment I think um, and, and Brian Windhorst mentioned this as well for, for ESPN that while the Celtics have had great winning success not necessarily making the finals but making these deep playoff runs um, they've been outbid in, in, yeah. in what is the Eastern Conference arms race in, in, in recent years so they, they, they definitely need to do a better job team building from a front office perspective. Yeah. And there will be changes. There will be wholesale changes. Well, that was um, the one Marcus... thing I was going to say about uh, the series. I think this is the last time we're ever going to see Kemba in a Boston uniform, to be honest. I don't think could be Kemba's the last... going back. Could be the last time we see Kemba in a Boston uniform. Could I think it's the last time we see Marcus Smart in a Boston uniform. I definitely think he's going to be on the trade block. Um, so we're, we'll see. It, it, it's going to be interesting to watch some of the offseason moves that, that that Boston makes. But even even moving out and talking about the series as a whole before we move on to our, our last series that we're going to talk about, um, we, we knew that Brooklyn was going to take care of business. We knew that they were definitely moving on to the next round. The the trio of Kyrie, James, and KD was going to be too much for a Boston team, especially without Jalen Brown. But, man, uh, <laughs> especially that game four where they completely blew Boston's doors off. And, and that was definitely a confidence killer. And I didn't see Boston coming back from that game and, and, and having the same fight in them to their credit. Some of those Boston role players, especially like guys like Neesmith and Lankford came out and played about as good of defense as they could on some of those Brooklyn stars as possible, but Brooklyn's firepower, we already knew was impressive. There's not really much detail to, to necessarily go into. Um, the one thing that I'll highlight and I tweeted this out last night, was Joe Harris being the playmaker off the bounce that he was not only in this series, but really all year long, that kind of evolution that, that he's built into his offensive game. It's been damn impressive. Um, and, and, and Brooklyn being able to play with five guys on the court at the same time, obviously those three big stars, but then Joe Harris and then Brooke, uh, excuse me, Blake Griffin at the center position, having five playmakers on the court at once has been devastating to opposing defenses. And if Joe Harris and Blake Griffin keep playing the way that they are around those three stars, and that's the lineup that they can lean on to close out games, it's going to be, it's going to be really tough for anybody to beat him, Kevin. I, I know that you're, you're probably still in the thinking of you're, you're going to take the field in the Eastern conference over Brooklyn. And, and maybe you have a different opinion about that now, but it's more clear to me now than it was even when we started making predictions about the playoffs. I think Brooklyn's going to go to the finals. If Embiid is out for good, Luffy tries to rush back and horse it even more, then I'm taking Brooklyn. I'm only taking Philly if Embiid is healthy. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, And, and some of that might also be the fact that you, you, you could be a tad salty about um, the, the way that the Bucks and the Heat series ended. The Bucks swept the Heat. I didn't see a sweep coming. I know that you didn't see a sweep coming. Um, Drew Holiday's obviously made a really big impact for Milwaukee. The two-way play that, that, that he was able to have an impact with down the stretch um, for Milwaukee, timely scoring, being able to set up Giannis in, in different ways than some of their point guards have been able to in years past. Um, really impressive stuff from him. Chris Middleton stepped up, hit a lot of big shots down the stretch towards the end of some of those close games. Um Two questions for you, Kevin. I, I I want you to have the floor for this one since I know that you're the Miami guy. Number Look, one, looking forward to it. <laughs> is it is it panic time in Miami? Do you see major moves on the horizon for that team? And then, kind of as a little bit of a preview, when we go into to Bucks Nets and and 
you can give your answer now. We'll probably mm-hmm. go a little bit more in-depth into it when we do a full preview. But the way that the Heat did try to foul Giannis down the stretch, particularly in that very first game, um, putting him on the line in, in like a hack-a-shack type situation, mm-hmm. the way that the Wizards have done with Ben Simmons, do you think Giannis is in that same kind of trouble as Ben Simmons was in that Brooklyn series coming up next. So what what are your answers to those two questions? Uh, I will answer the first one first, just so I don't forget it. Um, well, I think we're going to see wholesale changes. I don't think Duncan Robinson is coming back. He's kind of alluded to that in different outlets. He's talked about how he wants to play for somebody who's going to pay him a lot, a wonderful city, and a winner. And we're all three of them, but making those comments... It doesn't bode well, I think. Um, especially because we're going to have a lot of money. I think we need to move on from Iguodala. I think he's looked like a shell of his former self. I've heard a lot of rumors that if uh, the Clippers kind of flame out of the playoffs, like we both think they're probably going to win the series at this point due to Lucas Health. But if they ended up losing in the next round, what's well, to say that he doesn't leave? And Miami has to be an interesting option for him. I don't know if he comes to Miami, but I think that's something we can have a bigger discussion on in a few weeks once the playoffs are over. Um, but yeah, major move that everyone on the horizon, this team will not look the same. Other than I think Butler and Abadio will still be there. I don't think they're going anywhere. They're still going to be the vocal points of the franchise, but the team around them is going to look very different. And then secondly, I don't think Giannis is in the same trouble as Ben Simmons, especially because I don't think Brooklyn's as good of a team defensively as, uh, well, I guess Washington's not really good of a team, as good of a team defensively, but I just don't see a situation where like, Giannis gets in the same situation as Ben. I think he's going to put himself in different scenarios to stop it. And you can only put yourself in, obviously, like, as good a position as you can. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong here. And I think you're better to talk about this than I am because you understand the whole idea idea and, like, game plan around Hakashek. But I don't see Giannis as as much of an issue as Ben. Yeah, I don't know if Brooklyn will, will look to, to go to it as often as maybe Washington did um, in this previous game and, and maybe even in the next game here um, that, that will be happening tonight. But I definitely see it as an option that Steve Nash will, will keep on the table, especially if they get in a tight spot. Maybe some of their stars aren't hitting shots as consistently as they can um, and, and just try to, to really even up the score as much as they can if they get in a trouble spot. But um, one last question to you, and then I think we'll we'll be able to wrap up this podcast. Like I said, uh, we'll we'll go into much more in depth on, on some of the next round matchups, and we'll go a little more in depth in terms of the analysis. Just wanted to give a a little quick hits and a check in with this first round here. But um, you 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 definitely said that you think wholesale changes are on the horizon. Besides Butler and Adebayo, obviously remaining in Miami, but you think Tyler Hero gets moved because he he had a pretty dismal playoff series against the Bucks, and, and you you and I are both Tyler Hero yeah. fans um but I don't know man I I don't think he's gonna get moved I don't think Miami's gonna give up on him after one bad series and man he still has so much potential um but I mean when you have to handle shooters you have to understand that they go through rough spats everybody does there's not a shooter in history who's played well every single game right some people will miss yep. a lot of shots I mean Steph Curry Arguably, if not definitely the best shooter of all time, he has games where he can't hit a three-pointer to save his life. And Tyler's nowhere close to Steph Curry. I just think it's too early to give up on him. If we get a situation where, like, next year, we're at midseason round round trade deadline, right? And he's still looking a little rough. And somebody wants to take him for, like, a piece for you to compete for a championship. Then maybe you have to consider it. But it's way too early now. You either have to trade him for James Harden or you have to give him a chance. And there's no... No other option there, in my eyes at least. I agree. I think that if he wasn't on the table for Harden, he's probably not going to be on the table. And then he's going to be in his third year in the NBA. He's still so young with so much promise. I agree. I think you got to hold on to him, um, hold on to some of these guys, and and, and see where the chips fall. Um, but we'll, we'll save a lot more Miami Heat talk for when we inevitably get to some of the offseason pods that we'll do. But... That is going to wrap it up this week. Thank you again so much, everyone, for listening. We have a really, really fun draft podcast plan for our next outing um, with someone who I've been anxious to talk to. Simon Rath is going to join us, and we're, we're going to talk about some of his favorite players, guys like Sharif Cooper, uh, Bones Highland. We're going to get into some of these other interesting guard prospects. 
that, that, that I definitely want to revisit here before we get into the major swing of things, doing a tier breakdown, especially getting into mock draft scenarios. We'll have a special uh, series of pods coming up with that as well. Uh, we'll hope to, to maybe bring on a few team beat writers, see uh, kind of get the team landscape as far as what kind of decisions some of these higher level lottery teams are, are going to try and make with some of their draft picks, but a lot of content planned. But for now, definitely continue to follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you're subscribed to our podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Um, definitely be on the lookout for, for more content to come. We're only two months away from the draft, so it's time to start ramping the content up. And, and I couldn't be more excited than I am, especially with the playoffs in full swing. We still have a lot more exciting matchups to look forward to um, in the NBA. So thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you.